Hi, and welcome back to the Buddhist Trader Podcast. I'm your host, Njabul Zaman. This podcast is aimed to help new and experienced traders navigate the markets and learn from other traders. This is episode number 46. In this, in this week's episode, I'm chatting with um, Richard Thomason, um, whose track record I can only describe as uh, impeccable. Um, you know, hi, Richard. Welcome to the show, and thank you for, for your time, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks, Njabul, and thanks for having me on your show. I'm well, thanks, and you. Um, good, good, man. Oh, good, good. Um, let's just get straight into you. Uh, what, what, what got you interested into the financial markets? Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was many years ago now. You know, we're going back to two thousand and three. I was living in Johannesburg, and I was, uh, you know, in my twenties and uh, really looking for some some money to make on the side. And you know, with my weekend, I took myself off to an expo. And uh, I was looking around there, people selling franchises and stuff. And, and, and a stand that caught my eye was, was one uh, from the London School of Investment. And they were selling a, a, a course which could teach you how to you know, make millions on the stock market. And uh, they were giving away a course. You just had to leave your email address. Now, mm-hmm. I did that. And of course, I didn't win the course, but I got a free call from a salesman who came to visit me at the office on Monday to, to sell me the course, right? Um, so I can't remember how much I paid for it, but I remember asking him what kind of return I could expect to make. And he said, well, I can't remember what the figure was. It's something like 50% in three months or your money back or something like that, you know? And I thought, well, you know, that, lots of graphs in here and looks like good material. And I'm an engineering student and I'm quite studious and it can't be too difficult. So I'm sure I can work it out. And, uh, you know, it seemed pretty easy and, so, you know, I gave him my credit card and, and off we went. Um, but it wasn't long before <laughs> I realized that, you know, this guy was bluffing me. Um, and, uh, you know, nothing fires me up more than something like that. So I thought oh, I'm going to work this starting thing out, uh, no matter how long it takes me. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the course itself wasn't bad. It was, it was quite good material. And these days you just hop onto YouTube and there's a lot of good stuff you can sort of learn straight away. But, you know, this was going back some 17 years or so. Um, and they wrote a weekly newsletter. There was a chap called Don Joubert who was quite good, actually. Um, <clears throat> not sure if he's still alive, but then I got involved in another crowd off that called Share Direct, who were national. I think they're still operating, but there were some, uh, some guys who were doing work for them, which you might recognize today, called uh, Patrick Moore, Warren Peacock, and Dr. David Paul. Um, so, yeah, that really got me uh, started and, uh, you know, you have a little bit of a taste of success and it, <laughs> I thought, wow, this is a, some easy way to make money uh, and uh, on the side. So that was how, how I got started. Uh, do you still remember your first trade uh, from back in the day? Yes, I do, funny enough, and it was a, it was a big loser, hey? So it was <laughs> McCarthy, McCarthy, MCC, I think it was. Uh, uh, so I bought it at 50 cents a share, hey? And uh, I can't remember how much I, I think it was 5,000 Rand or something in that day. And to me, that was a lot of money, right? So, um, <laughs> and the very next day, I think Bidvest or someone put in a bid to buy them out to lower than the market price. And I don't know how this all worked, but it, it literally dropped to 34 cents the next day. So, I, you know, I'd been taught you must sell if it hits your stop loss. So I just sold immediately when I realized it wasn't going to go anywhere else. And that was that. Eh? So then I thought, <laughs> wow, this is not that, not that uh, easy. And let me get back to the drawing board and see if I must use the stochastic instead of the MACD or something. You know, <laughs> I must have done something wrong. You know, so um, 
Yeah, so that was my first trade. And I, it's probably a good thing that it was a loser in hindsight because, you know, if you, if you have big success, you can get quite cocky. And, and I'm sure you've had some of those experiences yourself along the way. Yeah, 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 yeah of course, of course, of course. Um, you know, then when we were still uh, trading initially, did you, like, did you, were you just shooting from the hip or did you have like a, some sort of tra- trading, trading strategy that you had in place? Yeah, so, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the early day, I was really looking at, at indicators or what you call them, oscillators, I think. Yeah, so I was looking at overbought, oversold and things like that. I think that mm-hmm. was quite um, in vogue at the time. So I would look at things that it sold off and I was trying to draw basic trends and say, you know, something's going up and then it sold off and it's over, you know, it's oversold. Then I might want to get back on the trend and, and join the trend as it carries on up. And, and these days I don't use oscillators or anything anymore. But that's how I was kind of reading it. Um, I try and sort of keep an eye on the news and see, you know, what shares, you know, I might, I might look, look around me and see if something is listed and then go and look it up. And that was just kind of how I meandered through the markets in those days. Wow. I still apply a bit of that today, you know. I still apply a good dose of common sense in what I do. I like to know a little bit about the story of the company. So I am, even though I'm a technical trader predominantly, um, mm-hmm. I still like to know roughly what the company does and be able to explain it to like a a child or an Alsatian or something, you know, and uh, in an elevator speech or something. <laughs> because I think if you don't know what they do, then, um, yeah, you've, you've got to have some sort of conviction, whether it's a pattern or, yeah. um, you know, the books intimately or something, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. You've got to really have a strong opinion when you go into, into a trade initially, yeah. Yeah, does knowing more about uh, about a stock influence your your technical analysis in any way, or your decision making in any way? Maybe like uh, you know company company results or or that sort of thing. So yeah, yes and no. I mean, I found sometimes I trade better. Like on the U.S. market, sometimes I won't know anything about a company at all, and uh, it's actually better sometimes because you trade the the pure price action or the pure. The patterns that you're seeing in the ups and downs of the chart mm-hmm. um, and then other times you know I don't I, I don't go deeply into the books you know I've got some people that I follow on Twitter that I really respect their opinions and they do that sort of stuff and I'll, I'll look at their opinions but to me if you're too much in the fundamentals you know when do you sell because they're often backward looking and you'll miss something you know so yeah. Um, you'll get out too late, you know, because it's, it's, it's a backward looking set of results. And I also find it really boring. I know how to read an income statement, a balance sheet, a cash flow statement, but I find it so boring. I think I could look at a chart all day, but, you know, I, I'll, go, I'll go to sleep looking at a cash flow statement. But uh, I try to get a sense of are they growing the top line? Are they growing the bottom line? Have they got a lot of debt? Uh, where are they expanding? What's management like? What markets are they operating in? what they're trying to do, what's the core business, and what's the sentiment. I like, I like to look at sentiments a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, what I do is I try to um, get a feel for that sentiment. As an, actually, so what I'll do is I'll, 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 I like to try and get in, in the accumulation stage before the major public sort of starts to participate in this trend. So that's where I'm kind of trying to look. So I'm, I'm, I'm predominantly a discretionary trend trader who will mm-hmm. ride trends um, for a long time, as long as it, it takes. 
Um, but I will try to participate before kind of everyone's caught on. And then once I'm in and everybody starts to talk about it, I'll enjoy the ride. And but then I won't, I'll try not to overstay my welcome. <laughs> Although I'll predominantly exit on technicals. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So I mean we can talk a bit later about a bit more about that if you want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I can completely uh, relate because I you know I did try to 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 look at fundamentals before, you know, trading or rather investing using the, the the value methodology but i you know for the most part i found it boring i did it, it didn't entertain me or resonate with me much but with with when it comes to looking at prices and charts i can i can you know spend days and hours um, looking at charts can you take me through the your, your trading approach in the markets and like the objective of your trading system or trading strategy um you know if, if you have an analogy to you know that would be great as well yeah, sure. So, you know, so as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get into to long trends. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm actually a, an equity only trader and I'll, I'll only take the long side of trades, okay, mm-hmm. um, of, of shares. Um, so, so I'd say I'm, I'm a discretionary trend trader. I've got a bit of a contrarian flavor to what I do as well. So without trying to pick a top and a bottom, I'm, I'm trying to almost participate in a move before the general public sees it, if that makes sense. So like when a fund manager would get in. So to, to give you an analogy, to go back to November 2018, this was, a, I guess, kind of a good trade that I did. Um, November 2018, um, I got into to Impala Platinum. It was trading at 28 Rand or something at the time. And... Um, Nobody was talking about platinum. I mean, I, I think I went to some old tweets from Storm Trading or something, and the guys were saying you know, it's trading like it's in the Bronze Age or something like that. And nobody was talking about PGMs. And then I heard something on MoneyWeb, I think it was Shapiro or something, talking about they just come out with results that look interesting. And I thought, wow, I haven't heard that name for a long time. And you know, I suddenly realized, you know, they're not just mining platinum they do palladium and rhodium and looked at the spot prices and i was quite surprised how far these things had moved already um whereas the share price had not started reacting much at all so i i tried to well i quickly cobbled together a a spreadsheet where i tracked the rand price of what would be considered a typical basket of these metals mm-hmm. and then i picked up a podcast from John Bickart, who was buying them for his fund. And man, every night I just watched these things go up, uh, watch the spot price move up. And I just updated my spreadsheets and I just correlated the share price with this thing. And it started to move up in a nice orderly fashion. You know, now the thing's lurching up and surging down and everybody's talking PGM still. And, you know, I even spoke to a fund manager the other day and I said, you know, you're holding Sabaya, when will you sell it? And he kind of talked around life of mine and he's not quite sure. It depends where rhodium goes. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of my analogy that I can give. Um, I ended up making about 300% on that trade, but I, I got out before, before COVID hit. Amplats declared force majeure just before COVID on I think the 6th of March is when I sold out mm-hmm. last year. But what really kills me in Jabula, one of my big weaknesses is when I get out of a share, 
and I watched the thing go to the moon, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so even though even though I followed my process to the T here, right? I made yeah, a big yeah. V dip and then it came back to where it was and then it went carried on. And I think, you know, guys like Lester Davis, I think he made 10 times, you know. So that stuff really kills me. I'm very happy for the guys, but you know, when I could have held on, but you never know. You have to take the insurance and have to take the cover. Um but yeah, yeah. afterwards then then suddenly it became it started moving differently, you know, lurching up and then dropping down. And people started talking about it on Stockwatch and PGMs, this <laughs> and PGM Sabanias, the one to buy, it's on Finweek cover. And then, you know, it's like it's a little bit mature, you know. So, yeah. yeah. That was a nice, nice trade, um, 300%. And yeah, that one was, was quite a nice one, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that you, you you took the trade back in 2018 and only liquidated last year. How long is 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 three four years a typical holding period on on your on your trades? Uh, how long do you typically hold a position? Sure. Yeah. So you know it really varies. Um, it, it it I hold it slightly less for my US accounts. I've got two separate accounts. I don't use easy equity, so it's two separate accounts. Um, so on my, on my offshore accounts. Um, I just want to get the data here for you. My offshore account, my, my average trade duration is about 116 days. So what's that? About 0.3 of a year. Yeah. So, and then on the local side, um, looking at about a year on average. So I have held shares a few days and then my longest trade has been about six and a half years. Whoa. Uh, can, you, can you take me through uh, um, that trade that went six and a half years? Yeah, there was a there was a trade on Supergroup, um, ran it from 2012 to 2019, and um, yeah, probably wasn't. If you went if you went back and back tested my system, it probably I probably should have let go of it before that six year period was up. Um, but it was a nice trade; it netted me 91. percent um, So by virtue of of me holding the thing longer than normal, you know, it kind of has a bit of an investment. Um, stance to it as well yeah but uh you know by virtue of the fact that I, I sometimes cut positions really soon like really quickly within a week sometimes or a few days i, I consider myself a trader yeah yeah okay got you got you got you um how, how do you you know holding holding a position that uh you know that long um you know it's 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 it, from from a risk uh, um, uh, management approach. How do you approach uh, uh, your risk management in the trading? And is there any traumatic experience that you can attribute that that risk management um, strategy to? And also, you know, you mentioned earlier that um, you know it hurts uh, at times where you exit a position, maybe either your stop is hit or whatever, and then you watch the thing go to the moon without you in the, in the trade. Even though you were profitable in the trade, how do you handle such and um, you know emo- from an emotional perspective how do you handle all of that and also how do you you know because I would I would, I would assume you you would trade your stop for 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 six and a half years and what's your methodology in trading a stop loss sure yeah so <clears throat> so first being into a trade I need to ensure it's, it's sized correctly so I try and do all that you know the stuff you read in books so I don't I'm not prepared to lose more than two percent of my overall capital in my account some people do with one some people do 0.5 some people are more aggressive and, and use five and other people just kind of put their whole account into a trade or something like that but 
So I'll do that, and then I'll, uh, once I've determined my um, my stop loss in relation to that, I, I kind of know how many shares I need to buy. And then I've obviously diversified across my portfolio as well. So I'll have a basket of stocks. I've, I've diversified across sectors. And then by virtue of the fact that I have two accounts, I'm also um, diversified in that manner and, and with, with the currency, I suppose, as well. Um, so I would also predetermine where I'll get out if I'm wrong. So that's how I manage my risk. You know, um, I have to have a strong opinion going into the trade, but I need to be very flexible. If I am wrong, I need to say, right, I was wrong and I'm humble and I'm getting out and you know, and Jabula was right, or whatever. And, you know, he he called it short, or whatever. Um, I don't hard code my stops. I just draw a line in the sand on my charts. Actually, draw draw it on my physical charts. Um, and then every night I'll just see, you know, has it made a new high? I'll ratchet my stop up. If not, I'll leave it where it is. If it approaches my stop, I'll exit the trade. Um, and so trend following is quite rewarding in that you can catch these long moves. However, you don't get as many signals. Uh, so, for example, like a mean reversion system will give you more trades mm -hmm. um, and will be, uh, you might be, um, have more profitable trades than, you know, percentage wise than a, a trend following approach. But trend following will allow you to catch these big moves, which will sometimes pay for your whole year in, in, in some cases, which my parlor trade, you know, I did 50% in 2019 and then I promptly followed it by last last year um, overall for the year. Um, but, but with trend following and using a, a ratcheted kind of stop loss where you exit on, on when it falls back on you, you need to be prepared to, to be up 350% or 320% and then lose 20% and give back a whole lot of money before you actually exit your trade. So that's the tough part. Um, yeah. So, so that last part where it lurches down and you have to actually cut, and you say, well, I had this on paper, but it's not locked in until you've actually crystallized the sale. Um, <clears throat> yeah, as far as the traumatic experiences, um, you know, often these things, <laughs> the day you sell them, they'll go on and, and turn around. Um, and that's happened to me before. Um, one more recent one, I told you about my, my small trade when I started. Um, then a, a recent one was MassMart. So last year, beginning of last year, I, I got into MassMart just after my, my great success with my PGMs. I thought it was uh, Jesse Livermore. And I went and got into some, some new trades. And uh, of course, COVID hit. So it wasn't a good environment for SA Inc. Um, and retailers were getting pummeled. And I couldn't understand this. I held on to it after... Um, after the interest rates were cut and after COVID hit and these things were, this thing was just going down, down, down. I actually broke my stop loss. I think one of the very few times I did. And I started trying to rationalize with this loss. You know, you should never really sit with a loss. You should, you should, you should be impatient with your losers, never patient with them. Mm -hmm. And um, ended up losing 150,000 Rand, I think on that trade. Um, and, you know, yeah, so it was, it was tough. And then, so I got out of that and I'd exited Goldfields, made it made about 100% on that. And then these things were moving strongly still, as well as NUSPERS. And I hadn't done any of that. So last year was a lot of walking around the block and thinking about what kind of an investor I was. And, you know, when will SA Inc. turn around? I was very geared to SA Inc. Um, and, um, yeah, so eventually I threw in the towel, this thing. And... Uh, <laughs> 
the, you know, the data of bought this darn thing was when Mitch Slate bought six to eight million rand or whatever he bought of shares at 28. And I actually did eventually hop back into the stock and it's doing quite well for me now. So, um, and you, you know, the share, if you look at the fundamentals of it, it's got a lot of debt, but it, they're turning around um, builders, they're turning around macro, game is still a worry. But the price doesn't lie. It's going up. And the guys like the turnaround story. And, you know, people are building again and stuff like that. So <laughs> the chart doesn't lie. So, yeah, I didn't get into it again from a revenge perspective. I just like the price action. And it's, it's doing well for me again. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That's, that's my story there. Um, I, I can relate another one about the Steinhoff story as well, um, mm -hmm. if, if you like. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, so so this was a, a, a losing trade, which which taught me a lot. Um, so this was another time I'd, I'd broken a rule. I'd actually added to a loser, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I got into this this Steinhoff share, which I already didn't understand much, but I liked the graph. And um, I was sitting with the last gone slightly past my stop loss. I was speculating, you know, should I sell? Should I sell? I was speaking to a, a colleague in the taste room. I work at a brewery and. I was saying to this guy, you know, this is what happened. I actually bought quite a lot of these things and it's, it's eating me up. And he's like, oh, man, you must just take your medicine, sell the thing. You know, what are you doing? And, I, you know, sometimes you need someone like that to just slap you in the face to say, what are you doing? You know, yeah. anyway, I went back to my desk and uh, I sold the whole lot. Meanwhile, this guy went back to his desk and, and went, took a short on a CFD. Can you believe it? The next morning I woke up, I logged onto Twitter and Delphine Governor put a tweet out that Marcus used that failed to arrive at his hearing or something and the share dropped 60% the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, that was the spookiest experience of my entire trading career and I saved myself a lot of money there. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that just shows always take your stop. Always take your stop. Yeah. yeah. You know, I always... I always uh, um... Uh, uh, you know, when, whenever my stop is hit, because I put my stop in the market, whenever my stop is hit, I always just, you know, leave like a, like a, a you know, a horizontal ray of, of where my stop was hit, just to kind of, you know, see, you know, if, if a stop continues to fall, how much, like, how would I be had I not take the stop? And, and that, that process always reinforces, you know, the importance of always, always taking a stop. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Your best year, um, uh, you know, in, in the in the local equity space was 2014 or no, 2013. Um, what happened there? What was like, uh, uh, you know, the 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 driver of that return there? Because you return about sixty. Sorry, I'm just you're looking at my record. Was it 2013, 2014? 2013. Uh, yeah, you returned sixty-eight percent. 2013. Okay, yeah, I mean, um, industrials were moving quite substantially at that stage. So um, there was a stock called Coronation Fund Managers Limited. You might know it. So they've just released uh, really good results now and mm -hmm. paid a good device. I was, I was heavily involved in that. And that was actually, sure, I think, I think that was one of my big uh, holdings at that stage. And funny enough, I actually do own the stock still now. Well, not, not from that date. I've, I've bought into it again. Um, so, uh, yeah, I bought that in two tranches. So I added it as a pyramid position. Um, I bought it in January 
2012 and November 2012. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think those positions, they did 219 and 122% respectively. So that was a 10, it was an 11R outcome and a 6R outcome. Um, those were really the big contributors. I had some EOH back in 2013 that did quite nicely for me, 141%. Don't think I touch it these days though. Um, yeah, those were, those were some good trades in those days, but the market was a lot easier then. I think we're actually entering a, a similar environment now in Jabula. Um, I think we, we're gonna be set up for a nice good few years. You can see the RAND strength continuing. And uh, a lot of shares have, have made a bottom. And um, I think there's people in the US that are looking for yield outside of their country. And uh, there's a lot of concerns in the US. And yeah, I think we might we might be in for a surprise. I've seen a lot of good talk about SA. Yeah. And, and just anecdotally looking around, eh? you know, people are building, people are they're doing stuff. Eh? There's a lot of opportunity around. Yeah. yeah and everyone and shares my view, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I share the same sentiment. The, the, the mid cap, especially the mid cap space uh, in, in our market has been doing, doing quite well, even the price action of, of most of our mid cap stocks um, is looking quite well. Banks are starting to recover as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how would you describe your edge um, in, in the market? Yeah, so it's an interesting question. Um, I did a lot of work actually last year trying to understand this. And um, I've been listening to Chat with Traders podcast with Aaron Fifield. And uh, a lot of, he's got, he's had some big names on there. I'm actually trying to work through them one by one. And, and you know, I think if you listen to Peter, people like Peter Brandt, you know, they'll say that there's no edge in patterns anymore. And mm -hmm. he, he really only looks at sort of horizontal boundary lines now, uh, support and resistance. So for me personally, I think over the 17 and a half years I've been looking at markets, I've developed a lot of intuition. And I've done a lot of work around intuition and what it means in life. And Steve Jobs used it a lot. And um, I read a book by, by Gladwell called Blink, where you just walk into a house and you know, it's, it's you know, this is for me. Um, so I believe that over the years, you can cultivate this kind of intuition just by looking at thousands of charts, by knowing the local market. So, so I believe, I, I, I know the local market quite intimately as well. Um, mm -hmm. we've got, you and I have got an advantage over an American trader, for example, who doesn't hear what people are saying on Lindsay Williams's podcast or Simon Brown or how many people are in Mr. Price every day or how many new cars are driving around on the road. You, you, you've got your ear to the ground and, you know, all the time. So you've got that fundamental information feeding into you. Um, so I think that's one advantage. Um, funny, just on intuition as well, there's a chap called Oliver Kell. I think he's just released a book called Victory in the Stock, Victory in Stock Trading. He won the, the Stock Trading World Champs or something last year with 950%. And I read an extract from his book to say he, he bases a lot of his work on intuition. Um, and uh, obviously last year was a big growth stock year for the NASDAQ. So he's not earning anything like that this year, but he did skin everyone else in that competition. Um, secondly, I think I'm, I'm a patient guy, right? I'm not in a hurry to get rich. I've been doing it for quite a long time. Um, I think a lot of traders are looking to double their money or triple their money or, you know, they think they'll be sipping pina coladas, you know, at tea time tomorrow or something. So 
you know, I don't think I'd take undue risk or swing for the fences. I'm prepared to be patient and build my account up slowly. I think that, you know, once I'm onto a winner, I'm not one of these people who, who's impatient and taken, you know, wants to take a snap at a profit in case it turns into a loss. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to ride it up while my stop loss is attacked until the trend changes. And you sometimes have to pinch yourself to say, this trend has actually changed now, dude. Don't go and look at the pulp and paper price and rationalize it or find some confirmation bias somewhere. So I don't struggle to hold on to a winner. Um, thirdly, I think I'm, I'm, I'm quite a disciplined chap in all I do in my life, my training, my running and things like that and the habits that I keep. But I'm flexible enough to get out and move on if I'm wrong. So that took a while. Um, but Peter Brand has a lovely saying, you need to have strong opinions loosely held. So you yeah. need to have this conviction going into a trade but you need to have the humility to get out with your head held high if you're wrong. Okay. And move on and really to forget that. And sometimes that's something I can't do is forget it because you always want to go back oh, to do afterwards, you know, and sometimes you need to, because it's part of the journaling or internalization process, but you know, that's something um, you need to actually just move on, close the book, move to the next, next trade, take your cash and redeploy. And then lastly, I think, um, you know, it's critical with, and, and everyone that's lasted in markets for a while has passion. You look at people who have real passion in the markets, like yourself, like Simon, like, um, you know, the finance ghost, Petri Redlinghase, um, Anthony Clark. These guys have been doing this for years and they love it. They get up when they get, they have a bad year, they get up again, they persevere, they lose a job or whatever, they'll just keep going because they know the markets are for them and they have a few losing months or even a, a few losing years they know that brighter times are around the corner they've, they've seen this picture before so 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 to summarize i think you know my edge is not kind of in in my vwap methodology or some program i've programmed into python or something it's it's how i am and i'd say everybody's got a different system so it's finding that system and that is your edge I mean, if you were to, to, to define it classically, it's doing something over and over again um, such that it becomes a casino-like thing where you have the odds over the market or the advantage over the market. You can extract a profit out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, long term. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, like, I like your response quite a lot and I resonate with it quite a bit, especially with, with the, that Peter Brandt uh, quote of, of, of the... the uh, um, the unknown market wizards book i think that you know strong opinion weekly held has been my favorite favorite quote uh from 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 that book and you know of, you know reading market wizards or you know checking out podcasts you realize you know listening to you right now you know you realize that the edge isn't necessarily in, in chart patterns or uh, uh you know candlestick formation or whatever it's mostly aligned with personality um, you know, personality in line with a trading strategy. Yeah, I think knowing yourself is, is a big thing. I mean, uh, you know, if you, you can take take a personality test, Myers Briggs or something that tells you who you are, and and look at it, really examine mm -hmm. what causes me, what what sets me off emotionally down the wrong path, and and what what gets me very excited when I start to boast to my wife about my profits, maybe it's time to dial back a bit, you know, because I'm being yeah. 
too exuberant. But listen to the emotions, right? You can't switch off emotions. You, they're good signaling mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you 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 earlier you you talked about you know so some 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 great trades and some some terrible trades. Do you remember your best trades uh, and and what was you know best about that trade? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have one best trade. I mean, I, I talked about the Impala one that was really great. The Coronation one was quite nice. The ones that make you that double your money or you know treble your money and. There's some ones now that are building in my account that I think can run for a good couple of years. Um, so those are building nicely. Um, so we'll see where that turns out. Um, Pinnacle Technology Holdings, that was also a build position, which did 200 and 130%. So um, those are memorable. Um, and then, you know, obviously the Steinhoff one, because it taught me some lessons. So that's very memorable in itself. And just the fact that I got out, you know, the day before, um, this whole ruckus kicked off um but uh, you know i think i think things where you you you, you trades where you had the courage to stay the course and and stick with your system and eventually you were right and perhaps you were going against the herd slightly and that you know and by virtue of you doing trend following you're not really going against the herd but um yeah it's uh it's it's those kind of trades that, that stand out for me. Uh, um, 2019 was a, was a great year as well. You know, I was I was in Impala and in gold fields, and I, I don't really like resource stocks, but I've started getting into those more recently. Um, not not of late, but you know, 2019 I was in Impala and gold fields only, and there was nothing moving on the markets, and and I just had the strong sense that these things were going to going to really do well, and they they were the only things that were moving, and eventually they just started building into monster positions. And um, so that was immensely satisfying for me, I think, yeah. In a year where, 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 where there's not much, not many guys talking or boasting on Twitter and that, and, and you actually up 50%, you know, it, it feels quite good. And then the next year, of course, you get smacked down to reality. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, the market does, does that from time to time. <laughs> yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, you 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 touched there that you are a trend follower. You know, you tra- you trade with trends, and and trend following, you can you can experience, uh, you know, some 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 clapping from the market. You know, your your win rate is typically pretty low, but that risk reward ratio is quite high. Um, during during a, a cluster of 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 losing trades, you know, at least in the beginning, what convinced you to say? I get it. There's going to be a lot of a lot of losses in this process, but trend following is the strategy that suits you best, as opposed to you know calling tops and bottoms or min reversion or whatever the case may be. Sure. Yes. I mean, intuitively, I think I was doing a bit of trend following um, at the start, but you know, my stops, I probably wasn't adhering to that as rigidly as I am, or when once I started to get the, the hang of it. But, you know, I went through a really tough period. If I look at my, my losses from sort of 2012 right through to 20, 2019, say, there was a, a good six years where it was really dry. There wasn't much opportunity in the market at all. Everybody was parking money offshore and there wasn't much happening. So, you know, um, but, but it's only really when I read, you know, Koval's book, on trend following did it all kind of fall into place for me mm-hmm. um but 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 with trend following you, 
you do go through these periods where it doesn't work for a long time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I just, I, I know that it works and um, it, it, it will probably persist in our markets. Uh, I know that, that trend following doesn't work as, as well as it used to sometimes. I know in the, you know, or for long periods of time, people like Winton and, and things like that in the UK, um, yeah. they go through long periods where they get really getting outperformed. But I mean, recently now they, you know, they would have jumped on these commodity trends, these monster commodity trends, the softs and that everything's been running. So I don't know, I think it's just a proven system and you've got to just be prepared to fight out these long periods of drawdown. Yeah, uh, that's it. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, we, 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 you touched on that. Uh, you know, before, before, uh, you know, we started the podcast. That you know, with size, you know, some stocks are starting to be to be a problem. Is liquidity and and a volume play a role when you when you pick a stock to trade and not necessarily you know to enter a position, but you know to to give it the time of day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, so I've learned this also the hard way. Um, just when I sort of, I'd say previously started to scale up my account a bit, um, I got into some stocks which were the flavor of the month and, uh, you know, going was good. Um, and then, of course, the stock turns a bit cold and people want to go to the exit at the same time. And then there's no bid on the stock and you sit there with your <laughs> bag of stock. And so, so these days, you know, I'd say I, I kind of stick to the top hundred, which I guess includes your mid caps. So mm-hmm. I'm looking for is a mid cap that can really turn into a, a blue chip again, or, or or for the first time, um, and and to get some institutional following, um, to get some sell side coverage. Um, as far as clues go, yes, volume absolutely gives me clues as to where the stock is headed. You know, I mm-hmm. talked about Mitch Slate. There was a sitting duck clue in terms of when, you know, when he bought MassMart, he had high conviction in that stock. Um, you can see on stocks like PPC, i am still got mixed views on that stock, but uh, institutional interest clearly picked up on that stock. There was no volume on the stock at 60 cents. Now it's just, you know, there's a lot of volume on the stock now. Um, so, you know, I want to go into the bid and offer and just see that this, the size that I'm buying, is that being traded? Uh, I'm not going to have to cross such a big spread um, when I want to get out and in, you know, so those sort of things. Yeah. Oh, okay. Definitely okay. don't want to, when I want to sell, I want to get out quickly and cleanly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want to move the market either. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I, they know who I am, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. Um, there's some guy behind the desk thinking there's a cra- this crazy fool again. Why is he dumping the stock? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, you know, in, in, especially in the in the in the lower cost stocks, you can kind of see uh, um, where you know, for example, with transaction with with transaction capital, you can see like you know, there's like a seller's probably a single person around that 34 rand level. You can kind of see, mm-hmm. but with the bigger uh, bigger stocks, you know, it, it it almost doesn't matter. Yeah, that's a great stock you mentioned. I like transaction a lot. Yeah, it has been a, quite a big drive off my return as of late, along with uh, Coronation and Impala and, of course, Distel. Nice. Um, can you give me uh, examples or an example of, of trading rules that you never break and 
what made you include those rules in, in the process? Yeah, so I mean, I, I've pretty much talked about my trading methodology. It's pretty simple. Um, so I'm going to throw, throw out a couple of nauseating um, anecdotes of the market. <laughs> <laughs> so just tell me if, I'm, if you've read them a hundred times. But um, I mean, firstly, you know, sizing is, is important. So you need to size your position correctly. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You want to be diversified. Um, I don't want to lose more than 2% on, of my capital on a trade. I want to be able to be wrong many times in a row and still have capital. Uh, Larry Hart says, uh, don't lose all your chips. You know, you've got to, you've got to have a seat at the table. You, if you can't play if you don't have any more chips. Mm -hmm. um, don't lose more than 20% or whatever your number is that's uh, on a single position. If you, if you can go to bed and lose 25, some people say, you know, uh, Nick Raj, I think, talks about 25% um, on his flipper methodology. Um, cut your losses short and let your winners run. I mean, those nine words are probably the most powerful words ever. Uh, and yet so difficult to stick to often. <laughs> yeah, know? I quite agree with you more. Um, a lot of people can't do it, eh? I mean, so if you need to hard code it in and... But, you know, I, I deal on closing prices, so sometimes it can get shaken out intraday, so I prefer to keep it manual. So never take a large loss. You can eliminate a large losses. If I'd eliminated my large losses, I'd have done better. Um, but, the, you know, you want the big the big profits and, and small losses. The trend is your friend. Market's always right. Never add to a loser. I did that once, and it wasn't a good experience. I was very lucky. Uh, don't let a trend become an don't let a trade become an investment, right? So you don't want to say, I'm going to trade this and then it drops like a stun off and say, well, I'll just hold it forever. You could have taken it money and earned a whole lot more on a new stock, right? Uh, and you're breaking your style, you're not being true to yourself. Just you know, take take your pain and, and move on. Um, when in doubt, stay out. Um, and then one I heard recently, actually, from James Gubb, who used to be a fund manager at Alan Gray's. Now, I think he just surfs in Plettenberg Bay and um, he's done really well in the markets, it seems. He says, when you're right, make an absolute pig of yourself. So that talks to trend trading. I quite like that one. So, mm -hmm. you know, overstay your welcome. The trend says stay in and you've made, you know, hundreds of thousands of brands on it. It's still going up. Stay there, you know. Um, and then, you know, be impatient with your losers and patient with your winners. So. And these are all anecdotal things, as I say. I don't, I don't hard code anything, but I do, I do literally write down my moves every night on Excel, and it forces me to, and it, a little color comes up, and it forces me to think: Am I, am I still on track? So it's yeah. just that rigidity every night. Um, yeah. No matter yeah. where I am. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, I love those anecdotes that you that you you mentioned then, and you know they all of them apply to me you know and apply to my trading style as well really really like them what why do you think is is very hard for for traders to cut losses short and let winners run because you know when you say it as a statement it sounds like a very yeah. very simple thing to do but when we actually have to do it it becomes you know a whole, uh, you know a whole different game why do you think that is I think, I mean, a lot of it is short-termism, right? The guys aren't patient. They, they, they want to, maybe not interested in building up the account. They want to take the money and spend it. Or, you know, uh, maybe that's one reason. Um, maybe they're scared of being wrong. And in the markets, you need to 
be comfortable with being wrong. And it takes a while to learn that. I mean, um, you know, if, if you've got a profit, you know, it feels good to have a profit and you see I was right, you know, but then if it turns into a loss, you feel like an absolute fool if you, if you had a paper profit initially. Um, so I think that's maybe why they want to snap at the profit sometime. What kills me more is, you know, selling it and watching it go higher. That's, that's for me, it's just like suicide, you know. I just I, I can't deal with myself, you know. Then I've, <laughs> especially if I've broken <laughs> rule. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure of the, of the reason for that one. But I, I know a lot of people struggle with it. I've seen people put it on Twitter quite a bit and, you know, they, they can't hold on to a winner. They struggle to hold on to a winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, su- you know, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, or rather weird, is that holding on to the winners is always profitable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you, you shared some, 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 you know, great advice and some great anecdotes there. Uh, um, is there uh, some advices that you got earlier that you thought were great at the time, but now with, you know, experience and hindsight, I actually terrible advice that 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 you got. Well, well, just linked to the last question you had, I think uh, one you hear often is nobody went broke by taking a profit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that's one you hear a lot, and uh, you even hear it on TV sometimes. But uh, you know, you won't go broke by like by doing that, but you won't get rich either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's not something I really adhere to, but, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you really need to, you, you can't just apply a system. I think you, you, you can't just, everybody's different, right? And you've got to have conviction. You've got to find something that works for you. Because if I just take your system or Simon Brown's system or someone else's system, it starts to waver one year. Suddenly you think, whoa, man, I, <laughs> it's not working i don't have the, uh, it, it must be wrong and and you, you sell out or you break the the signal or something and it's not your system or someone gave you a stock tip for that matter yeah you, you know it's not your your research your conviction someone else tipped it so if it starts to waver you think oh well it was it was this other guy's stock so yeah i'm getting out you know i, I never believed it in the first place so yeah I, you know i think i think do your own work um and believe in yourself that's that's something also uh, it took me a while to to believe in myself in the market as well you know confidence is a thing as well that i had to develop a lot um because sometimes i undersell myself yeah 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 and i love what you mentioned there with 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 regards to 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 conviction because you need conviction to hold a position you need, you need um conviction to to stay with the system that is going through a bad period and you know i always say that copying someone's system or borrowing someone's system is not necessarily a bad thing, but you, you also have to own that system for yourself. Uh, and if you want to make changes, you have to own those changes and hold positions with, with um, conviction. Yeah, test it out, check, check, check what works, what doesn't work, and then personalize it, make sure it can work and test it over time, different markets and, and then, then run with it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you know we we touched on your your track record there, which is nothing short of 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 impeccable. Um, when when was the light bulb, or what what was that light bulb uh, experience that you know turned you into a consistently profitable trader? 
Sure. Um, I, I can't really put it down to a, a, a one particular moment, you know, if you look through the track record, but I, I'd say this last year, to be honest, I mean, it's, it seems a long time, it's been 17 years, but just, just having that success in 2019, when the market is really rough, and then last year having COVID, you know, wondering about my job and the world and, you know, spending a lot of time with my family, reading a lot of books at home and, um, and, 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 and hundreds of podcasts and you, you, you really, it, it really crystallized who I was and what I wanted out of life and, uh, you know, where I wanted to be in terms of my goals and, you know, what I do as a trader. So I went, I sat down, I defined my age, I defined who I was, um, I had a lot of data already in terms of my win-loss ratio and uh, percentage winners and gain and losers and bell curves and all sorts of data and journals. And I did a course as well, by the way, in lockdown. It was great. Um, but yeah, no, I wouldn't say it's one particular light bulb moment. Um, you know, I think I think you it's you, on this, this continuous learning journey. Mm -hmm. I don't think we'll ever crack the markets. It's a, it's a puzzle <laughs> that will always keep us interested till we die. I think you know, even if we make loads of money it's, it's 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 an intellectual challenge because it's part luck and it's part skill it's like a poker game it's not it's not chess you know you can't learn these these moves and then you're you're guaranteed to win there's no answer in one particular book so i'd say it's a journey and um you know i, I think that's part of why i put my track record out to kind of just keep myself honest and you know i don't have all the answers and I'm, I'm on a journey just like all of you guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, any, uh, just before, as we close, um, any must-read books for, uh, um, for every trader? Yeah, sure. I mean, Jabul, I, I love books there. Eh? I mean, uh, I, I've read about close to 200 books on trading now, most of them on trading, but uh, some these days I read other things that are, are you know, growth or self-help sometimes um so there's an, even though there's no holy grail i always like to see <clears throat> um even if there's one thing i can learn from a book and it was worth my time and investment in the book itself you know mm -hmm. so i really enjoy mark minavini's books i don't quite really agree with his persona sometimes on twitter was five thousand dollar course but he's clearly passionate and he's, he's done many years in the market mm -hmm. um so he wrote well he's written four books but you can go and look up those titles and the re, um, the listeners um peter brandt's uh, books i really enjoyed his um diary of a professional commodities trader um steve ward is some guy i stumbled across i think linda rashke was friends with him or something and i actually did his course in lockdown he he normally deals with institutional clients and with COVID, he ran a course or two from home and he's worked with pro poker players olympic athletes back in the day and I, I found him to be really good. And his book that I recommend, he's written also three or four, is High Performance Trading. And I also enjoyed Richard Wickoff's books, Humphrey Neal, some classics like W.D. Gann's 40 Years on Wall Street, Gerald Loop's um, book, the, the Battle for Investment Survival, and mm -hmm. then Bernard Baruch's My Own Story. And then one, and then uh, for psychology work, Brett Steenbarger, which you would have heard of. And then lastly, just one I want to throw out there is, is uh, Gary Smith wrote a book called How I Trade for a Living. And I stumbled across this through one of the market wizards and unknown market wizards. And I was listening to a podcast on him and he 
talked about Gary Smith and went and bought his book, How I Trade for a Living, not to be confused with Trading for a Living by Alexander Elder. Mm-hmm. So this one's called How I Trade for a Living, and it's filled with pearls of wisdom. And this guy was like an unprofitable trader for something like 17 years, and he's been trading for 30 years. But there's a lot of good advice in that book, and I found it to be really good and not a mainstream book that you hear, you know, being recommended. Yeah. No, no, awesome. Those, 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 uh, those, some great authors and some great books. Thank you very much. Um, do you have any last words? Um, yeah, I mean, I think to the listeners out there, you know, never ever give up. Uh, you, you will get there. Um, there's a saying that I love from Earl Nightingale's uh, "The Strangest Secrets," and it, it says, "We become what we think about." You know, so. Those six words I find very powerful. Um, and whenever, wherever you choose to be, be there fully. Um, so trading offers a huge carrot with free time and, uh, you know, being able to be in charge of it and the masters of our destiny. But I, you know, so I, think, I think as I get older, you, you realize that money's not everything. Um, other things become precious, like free time, appreciation of family, nature, health, and things like that. Um, you know, trading is a tough way. To, it's, an e- it's a hard way to make a quick buck. So a lot come, come, come to the game thinking that, you know, in a few years I'll be able to trade from a beach villa while in a jacuzzi and you see all these photos on Twitter and that sipping a Long Island nice tea or something. But the reality is a lot of guys get there and they're still just as passionate to work as hard and, and keep, you know, that's the way people are wired to. It's, it's, a, it's, in, the, it's in the pursuits of a goal that's not really the achievement of a goal. Um, and then, and then lastly, I'd say really know yourself intimately. And we spoke about that earlier in Jabula. So know who you are, know who your weaknesses are. We've all got different um, strengths and weaknesses. If, you, if you're weak at something, find a way around it or eliminate it. Um, seek work with a mentor or even a psychologist and just keep at it. I mean, and stay passionate. Keep listening to podcasts um, and reading books and, you know, just, just, just keep, keep searching and, and, and keep at your method. And, you know, I'm sure everyone will, will be successful in their own rights. Yeah. Now, Richard, thank you very much for, for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, you know, I enjoyed this, this conversation and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks for having me in Jabula. It was great chatting with you. Cool, cool. Um, that's it for the show this week. Thank you for hanging with us. Be sure not to miss another episode of the British Shooter Podcast by subscribing in your favorite podcatcher. We are we everywhere where good podcasts are aggregated. Um, some events do join Simon Brown and myself. Follow the Trader series on Zoom. I'll leave the link to that in, uh, um, in the show notes below. And uh, remember to also subscribe on the British Trader ZA YouTube channel. Um, Yeah, Richard, thank you for your time and thank you for listening. Check you next time on The Village Trader. Cheers.